1: that's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
0: Oh, yeah. And special thanks to the Jerry Cherry Band. We have got our own house band on the AM shows. Hey, who am I? My name is Brian Anthony Davis. You can call me Bad. The podcast producer for Behind the Steel Curtain and their family of podcasts, and I feel like I'm going back in time here, talking to my good friend. As this is how we started before we ever met. Tony and I started doing shows on Blog Talk Radio together. Now we're back after doing uh, years of uh, YouTube together. Tony Deaf,
2: Tony, what is up, my friend? Hey, how's it going Brian? I am fantastic on this Tuesday morning. Thanks for, uh, for putting this all together. I'm looking forward to this show Well, I gotta tell you what, um, special props
0: to um, Jeff Hartman and Dave Schofield we, When we sat down for our BTSC uh, Summit to come up with some ideas, we're thinking, audio morning show? Let's do that and uh that's what we're doing. So we're doing these shows. We're still doing the YouTube stuff at night with any of your podcast platforms you could find us on. And be sure to check out Behind the Still Curtain. Um, for all of your Pittsburgh Steelers reading needs. Um, that blog site is absolutely fantastic. And I gotta tell you, I've been a part of it for five years. Uh Tony, you've been what, 10?
2: Ten years, uh, ten years this month. Uh but- August the sixth, two thousand ten. I found it, and my life's been ha- has not been the same since?
0: So you know, mine was August of uh, two thousand fifteen when I uh, actually July late July, um, when I first started. And actually, I got death threats for uh, for my article. And Tony and I were talking about that today. My third ever article when I was talking about the Steelers bringing in Michael Vick. How that was a possibility. And man, the most comments i've ever gotten in the comment section people were going crazy thinking that i was endorsing it it was actually a very i was proud of myself it was a very objective article but um you know that happened so i got introduced uh i got introduced to the whole uh blog scene really early well there's Um,
2: no there's no objectivity in the comment section you know that
0: (laughs) but hey we love you we can't we can't do these shows without the comment section and without viewers and readers and listeners. So uh, our BTSC family is so important to us. So we really appreciate that. Now, one thing that happened later on that year, when we were getting ready for the regular season, Jeff Hardman back in 2015 said, hey, I want to go ahead and do something special. I want to... We have a lot of new people on the blog site, and not a lot of people know who you are. So I want to do a preview of you guys. Um, Maybe a a bio. Let's do bio articles for each one of us. So me, you know, Tony, I like to do things. I'm a big pop culture guy, as you know. I love the 1980s especially. But I'm one of those guys that I like to stand out because I feel I'm nothing special. So the way I write, I like to write with a lot of color. And so i was trying to explain how i'm different than most people and i uh, i did not know who you were yet the only the only thing i knew about you was the uh all the flack you took from your michael vick commentary
2: (laughs) that was uh, i'm still chasing that 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 kind of uh response by the way that i I, I was looking at the stats page for for days like in awe like man i'm gonna get a bonus for this or something you know i was (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I got a lot of crazy emails. I'll t- I'll say that no bonus, but a lot of crazy emails. So I, oh, the I, personal I,
0: emails are even oh, more fun. Yeah, but I, I got to tell you, now do you know where I'm going with with the bio
2: pages? Well, uh, we're we're roughly the, we're the same age, so we're going to be we grew up at the same time, and we we're, probably share the same experiences.
0: Yes, but here's what I think drew you to me. Now, you might not even remember this, but that's what you said when well, you mentioned a comment and you emailed me, you're like, man, when I, when I didn't know we were the same age, I, um, but you're like, I had one quote that I wanted to stand out and be different. And I said, look, a lot of people are Lonnie Anderson. They're Jennifer Marlowe, me. I'm a Bailey quarters guy. So when I'm talking about WKRP in Cincinnati, Tony's just like, he lit up and that's when he reached out to me and we became friends Ever since. Do you remember that quote in that article?
2: I do. I I, I definitely um, am a uh, on Team Bailey when it comes to WKRP in Cincinnati. Uh, I I thought she was uh, – I, I had a much bigger crush on her than I did on Lonnie Anderson.
0: Oh, she was a sweetie. She was really cute. Um, you know, Lonnie to me oh, – Lonnie's beautiful. I mean, there is no – I mean, you, you know, there is no saying that she's not. But that's – I mean – you and I must like the uh, the uh, educated look. The uh, the ones th- they look meek and mild, but you know deep down they could be wild. That kind of thing. And so that's that's who Bailey was, and right. I absolutely loved it. Um, and so when I discovered, I, I discovered WKRP right away. But we grew up want, probably having the same after school routine too, Tony. And so, if you and I can, this is how my memory works. I remember all the great things that happened, um, and what I did. And pop culture is a big part of that. So when you came home from school in Western Pennsylvania, you put on WTAE Channel Four. You got through the fact that at three o'clock it was General Hospital from three to four, and then after that it was party time. You knew it was going to be Three's Company at four o'clock. Then it was going to be Laverne and Shirley. At five o'clock, it was going to be MASH. And at 5.30, it was going to be All in the Family, roughly for the first part of the 80s. Then, I mean, and eventually Cheers got in there um, as as, uh, other shows got into syndication. But something special happened to me in 1984, one of my favorite years. And it's when WKRP started. So that's one thing when TAE, the show started in 1978, but TAE started them in 1984 and I got to watch every episode. And that was a 12 year old bad at the time and he, who wanted to be a DJ. And I ended up being a DJ and I, I worked in top 40 and I worked in rock. Um, I got a chance to do sports. I got a chance to do that. Um, now I'm in, in, a, a whole different field and I'm very happy in my career, but. You know, being getting a chance to do podcasting, especially about the Steelers, um, it being the Steelers, you know, gives me that avenue now too and that outlet and uh, lets me continue that. But a lot of it started back in 1984.
2: And you remember the movie Stand By Me, Tony? Oh, yeah, but I haven't seen it for a number of years, but I remember watching it as a kid. 1985, that movie came out. Um,
0: Rob Reiner who uh, was married to uh, Laverne actually, uh, and was on All in the Family, who both in that lineup that we talked about, um, he directed that film. And he, the, there was a poignant quote by uh, Richard Dreyfuss, who was the narrator in that film. And it, it forever stands out to me. I never had friends like I had when I was 12. To me, to me, Brian, there's something magical about the, that year. I enjoyed as a 12-year-old, greatly i had a great group of friends one of them still being my my best friend um 38 years later or 30 36 years later excuse me um but being 12 tony if you're like me it's that last year before you enter those awkward teen years that include a a lot of angst but at 12 most haven't been exposed to uh that angst yet but a lot of doors start opening. Your parents give you more freedom. I mean, my parents were letting me stay, stay home alone when they went out on Saturday nights. I mean, it was strict, but I mean, I was getting that freedom and I was growing up. And 1984 stands out to me for so many things. I could throw this at you. Not just my parents giving me more liberties. Ronald Reagan was reelected. I was a, I was a Reagan kid. My parents were Democrats at the time. And this is not a political discussion because that was a different time. Republicans were different back then. That's not what we're talking about. Um, We won the Little League Championship, the Dodgers. I was on the Dodgers and we won the title and I got to go into championship tournaments. That was really cool. I remember I remember Geraldine Ferrero and the uh, Democratic um, running with Reagan Um, I remember discovering so many things like the Cosby show um, (laughs) came on and I was watching, uh, I was watching all those (laughs) shows. I'm still watching Cheers, Night Court. Um, Night Court came out in 1984.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I I was just thinking about that uh, the other day. Why did Harold T. Stone get to be the judge at the age of 34? He was home. (laughs) <laughs> he, he, that's why. That's why he, they were saying, "Why did you get? Why did you get to be appointed a judge?" It was a whole episode. And they want everybody wanted to know. And he, at the end, he said, "I was home when they when they when they knocked." And that's how I. That's how I. That's how he became a judge in, in storyline, of course.
0: And uh you know, most importantly, I discovered Springsteen, Van Halen, Huey Lewis in the news, Prince, Carl Lewis, The Karate Kid, Ghostbusters. Beverly Hills Cop, Police Academy, my hormones, because (laughs) of two things. My very first concert was Lionel Richie, and that's not what what triggered my hormones. But his opening act at the Civic Arena that May night in 1984 was Tina Turner. And I discovered her legs. And I discovered Madonna in her wedding dress. The MTV Video Awards. 1984 is forever my favorite year. One of my favorite things about 1984 was the 1984 Pittsburgh Steelers who went nine and seven that year. Tony, what do you remember of the 1984 Steelers?
2: I remember that they were, they, they were much better than, than we give them credit for it. And it was, they were kind of the end of, uh, end of the seventies era, even though we don't think of it that way now, but in the context, context of, the, of the time, you know, they had just, made the playoffs for, for the third straight year in 84 they won the division by the skin of their teeth and of course they had a a magical uh, um upset victory over the broncos and in, in the in the uh, division round of the playoffs
0: and that is what we are talking about today as we get into our btsc black and gold delorean let's go back in time to december 30th 1984 the steelers had to beat the la raiders in the very last game of the season at a four o'clock game on the road in Los Angeles, they won that game to get a ticket to the playoffs. They did not have to go to the wild card because they won the division back then. You only had five teams. So they are set to play one of the best teams in the league though. And that was the second seed because the number one seed was your Miami Dolphins with Dan Marino, who were 15, or actually 14 and two that year. And um, then they had to go on and play the 13 and three Denver Broncos. And these Denver Broncos were, uh, they had the second year, they had another second year quarterback, just like Marino. And it was, it was John Elway. And they were 13 and three that year. And they called themselves Rodney's Rejects. And they had these t-shirts made up. And do you remember why they called themselves Rodney's rejects? How about
2: the, the Steelers or the Broncos? The Broncos. That that part of, of the hit, history I do not I do not know that one. Okay, so they were wearing these, these
0: t-shirts before the game because that 13-3 team had no pro bowlers. Oh, okay. So and Rodney's rejects was because of Rodney Dangerfield and I get no respect. <laughs> you know that that gosh Hey, I get no respect. I'm horrible at imitations, so that's the best you're going to get. I mean, they make fun of me. My family makes fun of me, and Jeff Hartman and Dave Schofield make fun of me, and the live chat makes fun of me when I do my Australian accent, and it's really bad, and my Irish accent is just as bad. So I'm horrible at imitations and accents, but um, there you go. So they're going into Denver, and this is a team, this is a Steeler team that they were 9-7, and seven, they were the only team to beat the San Francisco um, 49ers that year. And that was a thrilling game. That's one we could talk about too. There's so many great games in that 1984 season. Jack Lambert hardly played that season because he got his toe hurt in the o- opening game against Kansas city. But there was some really exciting things that season. They had a number one pick named Lewis lips. They had the return of John Stallworth, who was out the entire 1983 season, Tony. And they had a brand new quarterback by the name of David Woodley, who was cast aside because of Dan Marino. And that was the year that Terry Bradshaw retired. So they had to go out and get a quarterback. But there was a holdover at quarterback Mark Malone, who also split the season with Woodley, who had some great moments that year as well. So let's go to that game, Tony. The Steelers faltered really early. Mark Malone turned the ball over twice on the team's first two possessions, so it wasn't
2: it wasn't a good start. You just watched this game recently, am I correct? Yeah, I watched it a couple times. Um, that, that 84 defense, meaning the Steelers, doesn't get enough credit. I, I was impressed when I looked watched that game and looked at the stats. Uh, you mentioned that Jack Lambert missed most of that season, and he missed that game. David Little, who was a Late round pick in 1981, he came in and 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 played that year and did a really good job. Robin Cole, Mike Merriweather, Brian Hickel, great linebacking core. The defensive lineman, it, it was just a really great. Uh, and in this game, uh, personified how good this defense was. I mean, as you said, Malone turned the ball over twice: once at the 22, and then the very next play after after the the Steelers survived that turnover, Rich Carlos missed a field goal. The very next play, there's a exchange at center, a poor exchange. And, and the Broncos get the ball again, and, and of course they score a touchdown. But right off the bat, they they um they 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 had to weather a, a very bad storm uh, brought forth by by Mark Malone and, and, and the offense.
0: And uh, Elway found uh, tight end Jim Wright for a nine-yard score in the uh, corner of the right end zone. Um, it was seven to seven to nothing, Denver after one, and. The funny thing about that, you mentioned Rich Carlos missing a field goal. Rich Carlos was a guy that he was one of the most accurate kickers in the entire year. And uh, then you had, then you had uh, Gary Anderson in that game, who was another very accurate kicker that year. And we'll talk about him in a little bit. So the Steelers in the second quarter, they put together a decent drive, which got them down to the 11-yard line behind Malone's passing. And uh, not just the passing, but they also had some good luck with uh, Frank Pollard and Walter Abercr- Abercrombie as well. Tony, let's talk about that, the running
2: game. Yeah, I mean, they were, they were I think, sixth in the league that year on the ground, fifth or sixth. I, I was looking up the stats earlier today and uh frank pollard we, we mentioned him before in some previous retro shows uh very underrated player in the 1980s very underappreciated and th- this was probably the best game of his career uh i, I watched the broadcast they credited him with 107 yards and 17 carries but <laughs> on on uh a pro football reference they, they gave him 99 yards either way it was it was a great game and, uh, and, and Walter Abercrombie, that was probably the best stretch of his career, too, the, the, the Raiders game and then this uh, uh, Broncos playoff game where he had 75 yards.
0: I was a big Pollard fan, and I really liked Abercrombie, the number one pick, the 12th overall pick in the 1982 draft. Um, I thought they were very good players for that team. What's so interesting about those two guys, they uh, split time, and they were in the same backfield. And it wasn't just one coming in for the other. They played both of those guys. And yeah. they were both from Baylor. Yeah. The Steelers had two Baylor running backs. And funny about that too, their 1979 number one pick was, he was off the team at this point. He was off the team, I guess the year before, but Greg Hawthorne was another running back out of Baylor. So Chuck Knoll must've loved going to Waco. He <laughs> must've been wacko for Waco. That's right. Um, <laughs> so disaster almost struck on that drive when Lewis Wright dropped an interception in the end zone. Um, But they had an opportunity to uh, get back in the game and the Steelers got three. They got a field goal from Gary Anderson and we're back. So it's seven to three. So, um, but there was more disaster. The kicking game was just rough then. And the reason the kicking game was so rough, is because the problem is that Craig Colquitt never had a punt blocked in his career and he gets it blocked there and Denver was four yards away from Pater and a
2: big lead. Actually, Brian, uh, that that was the second half. Really? Yeah, uh, that was the very the first possession of the second half. Uh, after, the Steelers, after the Steelers made it uh, 7-3, uh, Denver went on a, a long drive, but they were, the Steelers were bailed out by, by Gary, that Gary Dunn interception.
0: Okay, so it uh, looks like my notes are a little different here and um, because I'm having that um, Gary Dunn's interception and the Steelers put together a nice drive and it was 10-7 to 7 at the half. Mm-hmm. So that's something we must be uh, disagreeing on, but uh, I will well, defer I'm, to you on that.
2: Well, no, that, that's, that's what happened, but, but the, you're talking about the, the pump lock, right? That, that was early in the third quarter. Hmm,
0: okay. I've, uh, yeah, I'm not seeing that here, but uh, Gary Dunn did snag an Elway lob on third down at the Steelers four. Mm-hmm. And so that's a big deal because they were, I mean, gosh, if they go in there, it's going to be 17 nothing, right? Or 17-3. to
2: Well, that, at that point, it would have been, it would have, that would have made a 14-3.
0: 14-3, right. That
2: was right after Anderson. And after uh, Gary Dunn had that, uh, m- made that interception, that's when the, the Steelers went on their, their long scoring drive to, to take the lead at the half. So that was very, I mean, that was a 14-point uh, swing right there. Because, I mean, you're figuring you're at the four, you, you get all the way down to the six, I mean, uh, on that. Um, interception or before the interception you're you're thinking they're going to go in for a touchdown and then the Steelers take the ball away and go all the way back the other end that's a 14 point swing so that was that was huge for a game that was so close
0: very huge and we are going to get to the second half right after this on the Steelers retro show on behind the steel curtains family of podcasts
1: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: And we're back to the Steelers retro show. I'm Brian Anthony Davis alongside Tony DeFeo. We are talking about the fantastic and memorable. Steelers win on December 30th, 1984, over the Denver Broncos, one of Tony and my favorite games of all time. In the third quarter, um, Carlos, Rich Carlos deadlocked the score at 10-10. He had a 21-yard field goal. And then Denver had an opportunity to regain the lead that quarter when Steve Watson scored from a 20 yards out on a pass from Elway. Watson was absolutely amazing in that game Tony. He caught 11 balls for 177 yards. He was I think it was the best game of his career. He was an absolute juggernaut in that game and and almost single-handedly killed the Steelers. Do you remember Watson watching that game?
2: Uh yeah, I remember when I was a kid and uh, what we were watching it on YouTube, uh, the, the, uh, Dick Enberg and Merlin Olson, they had a great anecdote about, anecdote about him, about why he signed with Denver. He was an undrafted free agent in 1979 and they asked him why he signed with Denver. And he said, well, Haven Moses, who was a, a long time legend in Denver, uh, a receiver, he was going to retire. And he thought, well, nobody drafted me. Uh, there's going to be an opening here in Denver. So that's, that's where, I, that's, that's where I'll sign. So it was, it was just, just as simple as that, but, uh, you're right, uh, he was the the one guy on 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 Denver's offense that Pittsburgh did not have an answer for. And Pittsburgh played a great uh, game on defense in that game, and, and they they had no no solution for uh, for Steve Watson.
0: That defense, they Hinkle guys like Hinkle and Gerald Williams, and I mean they Edmund Nelson. Those was Edmund? No, Edmund wasn't on that team yet. Um, but I remember Keith Gary and Mike Merriweather. Man, they went after it. And you had guys like Eric Williams, who uh, we're going to get to Eric Williams in a little bit. And we're going to get to Donny Shell too. Those guys were fantastic for that team. That, that, that Pittsburgh yeah. Steelers defense was well, a huge part of it. Imagine if Jack Lambert was there.
2: Uh, absolutely. And, and, and uh, to further illustrate just how, how well that defense responded to adversity after that, that, that block punt, they you know, as you mentioned, they only, they only gave it a field goal that when they, they recovered or the, the punt went out of bounds at the four yard line. And that's right off, off the bat in, in the, in the second half. And you're, you're up 10, seven, you're thinking, Oh, oh great. Here we go. We're on the road. We're going to be down 14, 10, just like that to start the second half. And, and they, and they held firm again, just like, like they did in the first half, only allowing seven points on, uh on those two Mark Ballone fumbles.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's absolutely remarkable. Uh, the Steelers fought back. The rookie sensation, Louis Lips, he reached the end zone on a 10-yard pass from Mark Malone. It's 17-17 at the end of the third quarter now. One quarter to go. In the fourth, that defense, like you mentioned, they remained stout. They just shut down Denver. And they Absolutely. really did. Yes. But Steelers had a chance to just extend the lead. Pro Bowl kicker Gary Anderson, he already missed a couple in this game. He missed once again. It seemed like the Steelers just could not get a big break with less than 3 minutes left on the game. You know, it's 17 to 7. Elway's got the ball. You know, he hasn't cement cemented being that last minute guy yet, but you saw you already saw glimpses of it. Elway took over. Less than 3 minutes. They're going to lose this game, aren't they, Tony? That's what twelve-year-old Brian and Tony were probably thinking.
2: Uh, absolutely, I mean it was it was a, a, a shaky fourth quarter. Uh, Louis Lips almost fumbled a, a punt uh, late. Uh, I think it was either early in the fourth quarter, yeah, early in the fourth quarter, and of course Gary Anderson missed a uh, a field goal with three minutes to go. It looked like they were going to go up twenty to seventeen, and and then boom, uh, Denver has the ball. looks like, Looks like they're going to have have the last crack at, at winning the game and. As you mentioned, it was a good thing that Elway hadn't discovered quite yet that he was he had that last second magic, or it might have been it might have been curtains for them.
0: Well, one of the reasons he didn't have that last second that last second magic was because of one Keith Willis, one of my favorite all time unknown stealers. You know, he's fourth, I believe he's fourth all time on the sack list. Um, it just depends what sack list you uh, you uh, look at the unofficial on the official he's fourth, but on the unofficial, I think he's seventh. Um, he just leveled John Elway with a monstrous hit and Elway was not the same after their Keith Willis just cracked him. Um, then you thought you were going to get that last second magic from him. The crowd thought it was going to happen. The barrel man in Denver, remember the barrel man thought it was going to happen. Absolutely. I love that guy. They couldn't do. Yeah. He was funny. Um, so Elway launches a pass that Eric Williams intercepted, and he returned it all the way down to the Steeler two-yard line. And so this is less than two minutes left at this point, right around the two-minute warning. Then you give it to Frankie Pollard. He finished the, Frankie Pollard's the guy who finished with 99 yards. Yep. And he ran it in from there. The Steelers were up 24-17 to with 159 left. But Elway had time left. He had timeouts, but he was too battered, wasn't he, Tony?
2: He was. Uh, even to this day, I, I think back uh, to he had he, his, he had that wrap around his groin. And I remember my grandfather, who I was watching the game with, my uncle and uh, I were the same age. We were watching with my grandfather at my aunt's house, and he just my grandfather was like, "You got to get him out of there to meaning to Denver. He just does not have a chance against this." I mean, he, that's how, how good the defense was. I mean, they were killing him. So, yeah, uh, that, that's what I remember from from that moment, watching Elway just struggle to, 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 to basically to, to stay upright.
0: Then Pollard and Aber- Abercrombie, they, they controlled the run game um, after that. But Elway, when he's trying to rally them back, four straight incompletions the Steelers had a chance to and you rejoice as they're running the clock out. And they did that with Pollard, with Abercrombie. And Mark Malone had a pretty decent game, despite the fumbles. But he was 17 for 28 in that game for 224 yards. Kind of a pedestrian mark these days. But back then, that wasn't bad, Tony, was it?
2: No, I mean, uh, the, the offense, they did a good job of, of moving the ball the entire game. Uh, it was just they, – they were – those two turnovers in the first half uh, sort of probably killed a couple of drives that may have, may have led to scoring drives. But and then of course, uh, you know, Gary Anderson just didn't do them any favors with with, with the uh, missing the field goals. They probably would have uh, won by by a lot more. And you
0: know what? They uh, they really would have. But it was still the biggest upset until the 2005 season. I mean, 21 years till they had a huge playoff upset like that. And you, you talked about watching it with your, your uncle and your grandfather. I remember watching this game with only the lights of the TV and the Christmas tree. (laughs) They were glistening. I could, I could see where I could picture where I was listening, uh, you know, uh, in that basement right now, because my parents don't live in that house anymore. Um, My dad taught me an important lesson in that game, something that I've, uh, I've always kept with me. He's like, Brian, you cannot celebrate until there's three zeros on the clock. And as they want, as that clock wound down. And I remember we went off to uh, a family that night. And uh, I even remember the punky Brewster episode that was on right after that game. And I didn't get to finish the whole thing because we had, we had to go, uh, you know, Christmas and new year celebrating and uh, going to visit relatives like we did all the time back then. But it was nothing short of glorious. And, I got to tell you, Tony, for me, it was even more glorious than Tina Turner's legs.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I agree. It, to this day, I mean, that's the great thing about sports. To this day, I'm 48 now, and I was 12 then. And I still can't believe they won that game, and, it's, and they've won two Super Bowls since then. They've been to a couple more, and to me, it's, it's, it, it feels like the, the biggest upset I've ever seen. I mean, you mentioned the, the, the 05 uh, game against the Colts, but just because I was a little kid, and I wasn't expecting... Uh, them to win that game simply because they, the Broncos had such a good record and they, and they were going into Mile High. Um, yeah, it, it's it, I, I remember where I was. I remember the week after that game. I remember being in, in, in swim class and uh, and <laughs> this one kid said, "If they if they do this again against the Dolphins, I'm gonna bleep a brick." So <laughs> there you go. I mean, I, I just remember. It's just you, it, it's like encapsulated in, in time. It's it's like you remember uh, that for for forever. It's just I'll never forget it.
0: Well uh thankfully that uh well I, I'm I'm sad to report that uh that his butt uh you know kept his regular shape because I would have loved to have seen him do that yeah. because the Steelers, you know it struck midnight on Cinderella and they ran into uh, Miami and uh th- they put up a good fight in that game Mark Malone was really good in that game but they lost 45 to 28 if I'm not mistaken um, I don't know what would have happened to them if they had a rematch with, with San Francisco in that Super Bowl nineteen. Maybe it's a good thing they didn't make it, but I just remember how magical I felt that night with that upset, and it was the first true upset I ever remember as a Pittsburgh Steeler fan. And this, to me, is one of those games when I look back to my childhood, when I look back to my favorite year of 1984, it ended the year. This was the second to last day of the year.
1: Yeah. And
0: it just put that bow on that year for me. And it was absolutely magical. So a lot of people are not going to remember. They're going to remember this game fondly. They're going to remember it maybe because it's in the history books, but I remember it as something that cemented my Pittsburgh Steeler fandom. So this game Steelers versus Broncos and the big victory is one of the greatest Steeler memories in my life, Tony.
2: I, I'm right there with you. Uh, it's it's one of my favorite games, and 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 that that team deserves a lot of credit because you know Terry Bradshaw retired, Franco Harris was cut. You know they were clearly in in, in transition, but you know they had one last uh, one last hurrah to give uh, before they kind of went, uh, slipped off into mediocrity in the mid to late '80s. But that was that was a, an impressive an impressive win coming off of uh, the the regular season that they had, you know, barely squeaking into the playoffs, and and being a, you know, a relatively big underdog in that game.
0: Well, it really was. And it's really special. And this was our very first Steelers retro show um, in the morning show. So thanks for everybody to come and check it out with us Um, tomorrow in the AM. You're going to get Jeff Hartman again with the last ride. Excuse me not the last ride, I'm thinking of The Undertaker now with his <clears> last ride series, um, with Let's Ride. Let's Ride on three. They shot me in Denver.
2: <laughs> so, Speaking of the Let's Colts. Ride. What's that? Speaking of that Colts game, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, And, and uh, talking about going to play Denver. And, and hey, they won in Denver again the next week uh, when we're talking about 05. But So you'll get Jeff tomorrow. Check out tonight on the uh, YouTube channel and on any streaming platform. It's the Scobro Show with the brother Scofield. But for Tony Defio, my name is Brian Anthony Davis. Thanks for popping in that DeLorean with us. You've checked out the Steeler Retro Show and we're blessed to have you. Be safe, be good to everyone. What's goody my friends, we'll see you next time.